the blast from our past network. You guys are really starting to piss me off. This is eating into my drinking time. But I'll tell you what I'm gonna do. Since I'm such a nice person and so in touch with my inner child, I'm gonna give you a chance. Come out, get about the bullshit, we'll discuss this. I'm gonna count to three. One. Mississippi, two. Mississippi! Talking Back. Double Feature. Hey everybody, and welcome to Talking Back, the podcast where we like to chat about past achievements in movies, comics, video games, and more. I'm your host Tim, and with me today is co-host Dean. Dean, how's it going? Don't call me Francis. <laughs> yeah, I, would, I, would never, I would never call you Francis. Never, don't it's do first it. Of, it's, not, it's not your name. Um, we got a real fun one lined up this week for everybody. We have the hosts of Podcasting After Dark, Corey and Zach with us, and we're so excited to have you guys here. What's up? Uh, can you call me Razor Man through this whole episode? <laughs> like the cheesiest name yeah. on the planet? Razor Man. <laughs> Coming down the aisle, it's Razor Man. No. I'm ready to call anybody whatever they want to be called. <laughs> okay. I'll, just, I'll just write it down. I'll write it down and uh, we'll, we'll get there. Um, <laughs> yeah, guys, I just wanted to also say, Corey, you're also on Cartwright Seinfeld podcast. Yes, sir. With our buddy Adam. And Zach is on another show as well, $2 Late Fee. So you guys are you guys are busy gentlemen and uh, your your podcasts are awesome. So thanks for joining us. Oh, ditto. Well, Thank you. And and I can, I'm can i sure I can speak for Zach, but we feel the same way about talking back. You guys freaking rock. So yeah. honestly, I was thrilled when you pitched this to us and uh, can't wait to jump into it. As the old song says, word up. <laughs> <laughs> the classic, the classic word up. <laughs> Corey's been on a couple times already, but Zach, this is your first time. So we're, uh, we're excited to have you. I'm happy yeah. to be here. Yeah, I know uh, you busted... Corey's cherry a long time ago. I'm I'm ready. Mine's <laughs> yeah. and and what a what a way to pop mine because I am excited to talk about this movie and the whole deal. Yeah, well, um, I'm a, a listener of, of your guys' podcast, and this is a this is a movie that gets thrown out quite a bit in your podcast. I, I hear Zach mention it quite often, and this is one that I wanted to do on our podcast for a long time now. And just thought it might be a real, real cool fit just to get you guys on to talk about it. Cause I didn't, I didn't really think it would be something you guys would cover on your, your podcast. So I didn't think there'd be any, uh, you know, crossovers there, but, um, yeah, it's just, uh, it's good to talk about this with you guys. And I think it's going to be fun. So just starting off, I kind I kind of know Zach's opinion of this movie already, but <laughs> like, what does everybody think about this? Cause we all have different experiences. I think Zach and myself are fairly lined up with, um, when we saw it, how many times we saw it, what we think about it. Um, correct me if I'm wrong about that, Zach, but I, I'm, I think you're a pretty big fan of this movie. Oh yeah. I, I saw it opening night, uh, with my brother, Eric, who I mention all the time on podcasting after dark, uh, saw it at the Meridian quad in San Jose was so pumped because I the, the soundtrack had come out ahead of time to promote the movie. 
which I own and still have the cassette tape, by the way, and I can't wait to, to <laughs> oh, talk about nice. that. Nice. Old school cassette. <laughs> nice. um, and uh, yeah, I, 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 I love this movie then. I watched it again uh, last night just to refresh myself, and I hadn't seen it in probably 10 years. Um have a lot more to say about it now than I did then. I think to believe it, believe it or not, cool. I, uh, in good ways and then in like, oh yeah, I forgot that was kind of cheesy. Um, right. But yeah, no, I love it. I, I've seen it more than a dozen times. And uh, oh wow, yeah, I, I love this movie. I, I know uh, you kind of had talked about possibly doing the movie Trespass, the Walter Hill film. And looking back, yep. those mo- these movies are a perf- that's a perfect double feature right there: Trespass and yeah. Judgment Night. Um, because they're both kind of have the same tone overall. Um, and yeah, I, I just, I love this movie and I'll, I'll love the cast, but I won't speak anymore just yet. <laughs> Save some for, uh, <laughs> the rest yes. of it. Yes. <laughs> He's just like, I'm out. I got nothing more to say. <laughs> Done. Exactly. Bye guys. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Corey, what about you? Yeah, buddy. What you? What's your experience? Well, I too saw it opening night, well, probably opening weekend. Uh, I'm imagining probably at all only nine cinemas, same place that I saw the people under the stairs. Because this came out in '93, so I was still in, I was in high school, but early high school. And uh, yeah, I I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. I was like, okay, that's a movie. And I think you know, having done podcasting after dark for almost pushing two years now with Zach, I can totally see why this movie is something that Zach would would actually really cling on to and enjoy. Um, I didn't hate it. I just would you know a lot of times like it's like oh would I rather go rewatch Judgment Night or go rewatch Aliens for the millionth time or <laughs> Ghostbusters for the millionth time? And I would usually choose those but i and i haven't seen this movie uh gosh i mean i know i rented it at some point in probably the 90s so i'm gonna say i haven't seen this movie probably since about 96 or something and so this is probably my third time watching it i will say as as a 42 year old man i thought it was very entertaining now like i thought it was very like like fun and fast-paced and and at the same time i felt like the stakes were were actually real as opposed to feeling like comedic and 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 like dennis leary walk this fine line between being like like actually believable as a bad guy versus oh that's just Dennis Leary doing his Dennis Leary shtick and yeah there's some parts where I'm just like he's just doing his Dennis Leary thing but that ain't bad either you know what I mean no. and it kind of reminded me how much I freaking loved Dennis Leary back in the day I mean Tim mm-hmm. and I were talking uh, offline before you guys jumped on to the the Skype about how we loved his uh that old um album he had it was it was like a comedy album and he had that uh that song on there I'm an asshole yeah, I mean it's 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 still in my head like I'll still do something and think to myself I'm an asshole yo <laughs> you know it's just like I loved Dennis Leary back in the day and yeah this movie has some you know some some faults of the early 90s kind of tropes where it doesn't quite take itself too seriously at some points when you actually want it to but for the most part i found it to be highly entertaining Mm -hmm. now dean as per usual on the podcast you were viewing this movie for the very first time which is your thing it seems like and uh that's i love the fresh perspective of having it's a great role to have yeah so we've all so Corey, zach and myself we all saw this back when it came out i didn't see it in the theater but i saw it the year it came out uh, so it's it's going to be cool to get your absolute fresh perspective on this. So um, 
yeah, to maybe just tell us a little bit about earlier this afternoon when you watched it for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Um, this uh, It's funny. This podcast has turned into, oh, man, I haven't seen any movies. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I thought I'd seen a lot of movies. And then uh, you're like, hey, let's do this one. I'm like, I've never heard of it. Wow, um, so, yeah, it's uh, it's been great going through these movies I haven't seen that I've just missed um, and that you're you're showing me. And watch this thing for the first time this afternoon, you know, five hours ago had a hell of a good time with it um it nice. is it is a fun movie um i just like i'm not like it's not the greatest movie out there it's not my favorite movie but i love watching movies and i just sat down watched this thing had a great two hours i'm really excited to get into it yeah i, I just Dean, think you're kind of like I was gonna say, Dean, you're kind of like the Corey of podcasting after dark. I'm, <laughs> when you when you have a partner like Zach, yeah, half the time that I'm doing these movies, I'm like, I have never even seen this. Usually, I've heard of them, but sometimes I'm even like, I haven't even heard of this film. So, yeah. <laughs> buddy, I I know your pain, but at the same time, isn't it fun though? Isn't it oh, yeah. fun to like like revisit all these these movies and like actually watch with a purpose? It it really is, and uh, we've we've kind of mentioned before, like if I've seen movies from the uh, the 70s 80s and 80s it's and and early 90s it's because like i've looked into it you know I, i'm younger than uh, everyone here i've looked into it and saw that it's a good movie you know it's got a high critical rating so that's why i'm watching it and then tim's throwing me these uh you know rotten percent 20 percent, and 30 percent, and i'm like <laughs> these are great why didn't i ever look into these yeah. movies like this is awesome yep. those just weren't ones that i was looking into so i'm really happy um whenever he throws me a movie and i get to watch something fresh I will say too the critics during this time, uh, as far as, as far as critical reviews for movies in the the '80s and early '90s, this genre were always terrible, almost always mm-hmm. terrible, unless it starred Schwarzenegger or Stallone, you know. Yeah. And right. and for some reason, critics love to hate on movies that audiences love. And uh, there wasn't a Rotten Tomatoes back when you know we were kids, and so I think if there was, it would be a different time. We might have a different perspective on these, but. Um, yeah, like Corey said, watching this movie, you watch, you see the flaws, and you see the oh man, this director loves to use this certain trick shot uh, three specific yeah. times at the end of right. the movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. He, I think I think he used those shots in Predator Two as well. Yes, he did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I love Predator Two. <laughs> I know, I know, you guys do. <laughs> I've grown actually to appreciate it more because of you guys. Believe it or not. Um, nice, nice. Yeah, there, there's something about this movie that. I remember uh, being so hyped because I was like a big Steven Dorff fan from The Gate. And then this was kind of be his edgy role where I, I dressed that way. I had like the, the baggy khakis with the flannel shirt and the vest and the chain wallet and thought I was going to be a thug, you know. And, and then MC Everlast comes on before he was, you know, uh, doing Rasta music and playing a guitar and uh, doing Whitey Ford Sings the Blues or whatever that album was, mm-hmm. you know, and he... He was in House of Pain, yeah. but many people forget that Everlast used to be clean cut and look like a Guido from New York. And uh, his first album, he he's dressed up as a boxer in a corner with you know with his boxing trunks on. And um, so he's gone through these evolutional stages of like, oh, this is me now, this is me now. And then he pops up in this, and I thought he did a pretty damn good job actually as a as a thug. Wait, which thug was Everlast in this? He was the, the set, he was the last one to go. Oh, with the, the one that I thought was the Edge from U two. Yes, exactly. 
<laughs> I have like I have like I don't know like maybe like eight notes on this thing, and one of those is is that the Edge from U two? <laughs> no, no, that's the Edge from WWE. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, I think oh, I I just want to I just I'm sorry I just wanted to throw in one quick thing and say I miss the thrillers. I miss the medium to low budget yes, thrillers that the '90s yeah. used to produce. Word. That's all. It had nothing to you know. I didn't know where else to insert that, but like I miss these kind of movies though. Like just it's not like crazy high budget. There's not like a gazillion explosions it's not super actiony but it's a thriller and i miss that and they don't exist anymore because you have to have a gazillion dollar budget you know marvel movie now is the only thing that can go out in the theater although theaters are a whole new thing now you know whatever but like you know what i mean up and before covid it was like you a movie could come on the theater but like it had to have a budget of like 300 million you just don't see movies anymore that have like a budget of like 30 million you know Mm -hmm. so i just miss that that's all yeah, I mean, this was like the most like love. It's like trash thrillers yeah. for adults Word. just don't totally. exist anymore, you know? Totally. They have to be so serious and have to be saying something, you know? But these these movies that are just fun, you know, fun trash thriller for for an adult, like that's what this yeah. is. And it's, it, yeah, it's just, it's a good time. And then the great thing is it is a fun trash thriller for adults. Like on paper, it should have been, but it, it, it gets elevated by these fantastic actors in this movie yeah. to yeah. something that's even more special than that, you know? But I, but I at, at its core, I miss adult trash thrillers, you know? Yeah. I miss this genre of um, fish out of water against unsurmountable odds able to overcome and in elements of like most dangerous game, like you're, you know, you're basically in a game and you're being hunted. I love that. Mm-hmm. I love uh, urban hunting movies. The, yeah. The, the, the hard targets and the... Um, you know, surviving the game took a place in the wilderness, but but it's the same idea, you know. And, and I love that I added idea of like, you know, there's one man against everyone else, but you know, hard target. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, hard target is is the most dangerous game, and that's yeah. It, um, mm-hmm. Yeah. But Judgment Night, it, it, it's just one of my favorite. It's I don't know as a, as far as a fantasy film goes, it's very relatable. Like we could all be stuck going to a we've all gone to a concert or a football game or something after, after hours and uh, you know, getting stuck somewhere. We're like, where the hell are we? And then next thing you know, dun, dun, dun. we talk about that on the people under the stairs episode, how there's these movies that are like urban fantasies. Uh, a Prince mm-hmm. of darkness is another one where like, there's something major happening in like this urban setting where people are just walking by, you know, and, and this is to like maybe to a lesser degree, but I would say that this has like sort of one foot in that urban fantasy realm, maybe not quite as fantastical, but still at the same time felt kind of caricature-esque of the environment, you know, kind of just sort of blown up, but it works all around. It works. Totally. I think they take, they take their small budget and they throw it at a, a movie that they make fun for everybody. And they're not trying to take it too seriously, but what they turn it into is a bit of a character piece, right? They, they really yeah, dig into yeah. the characters and like what's going on with them and their motivations. Uh, and, and yeah, I mean, it's been said already how relatable these characters are. Like you're, you're definitely on the side and relating to the good guys. Um, but at the same time, I kind of found myself relating to the bad guys as well, because I really liked Dennis Leary at the time. And I was a huge House yeah. of Pain fan. And one of the reasons I was tuning yeah, into this was to see how, like what Everlast could do and how he yeah. would act. And just because he was he was so cool at that time, man, his shaved head, oh. just his whole identity at that time at House of Pain. He was like 
you just, you wanted to be that guy. He was just, he seemed so hard and cool. So um, that's another one of the reasons Cuba Gooding Jr. was like really popping for me at the time as well. So I wanted to, I wanted to get into him. I wasn't too familiar with Steven Dorf, um, Emilio Estevez. I mean, he's in, he's in, he was in a whole bunch of stuff at that time. I mean, I could take him or leave him. Uh, he's not like, he's not making or breaking anything for me, but he's a, he's a powerful name at the time. So, uh, but the, the movie, it's got a budget of $21 million. So not all that much. It ends up only grossing twelve million in the theater, though. So oh, really? I, th- I yeah, thought it did it's kind better. of a bomb. Well, you know what? You know what did better was the uh, soundtrack. Did way better. The soundtrack That's... sold two million copies mm-hmm. and was a hit. But the movie, I think, like something that happened with the movie is that in one of the opening night showings in the Bronx, there was a shooting in the movie. Uh, so mm-hmm. I think that one of those events that maybe hurt. turns people. Yeah. It's going to hurt people. Maybe aren't going to go and see judgment night the next week because of that, you know, that occurring. Um, but yeah, I find it very strange. It didn't do well. And you know, who knows? could have been marketing, right? Maybe they just didn't have any marketing budget for it and nobody knew about it. I didn't see it in the theater. I, I caught it on like VHS, uh, you know, whenever I noticed it on the shelf. So, well, I think I've re- go ahead. I was just going to say, I, I remember it being a big deal when it came out. Like, I mean, there was a reason we went and saw it. We were looking forward to it, you know? What, what were you going to say to Zach? I, Sorry, I was going to, well, I was going to piggyback on that by saying, I think one of the reasons why we were looking forward to it, and side note, this is what Everlast looks like back in the day. Oh, <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he, looks wow. Like, oh, he looks like Crispin Glover. Yeah, he does. <laughs> yeah. So, Richard Grieco or something. As far as, uh, as far as like, you know, reinventing yourself, he really did. But um, I think what hurt this film was the soundtrack because the soundtrack is not featured outside of two songs and one song is played three times in the movie. And that right. actually really frustrated me when I saw the movie because the soundtrack came out first. It was huge. Uh, hip hop and metal coming together was like kind of on the cusp of becoming bigger. I think at this time it hadn't really totally hit just yet. You know, bands like Onyx and Biohazard who were huge back in the day and the soundtrack is filled with Run DMC, Living Color, Cypress Hill, Sonic Youth, um, House of Pain, Helmet. Helmet's a great metal band, by the way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Slayer, uh, Ice T, Sir Mix a Lot, Mud Honey, Booyah Tribe, uh, Faith No More. <laughs> you know, uh, and then the the songs that get featured in the movie is the one by De La Soul and Teenage Fan Club, the Falling song, which is a great ditty. I love that track. I, I love that uh, tune. Yeah. Just the opening yeah. is killer, and it it's a great way to set the tone. The opening of that movie with that track, you're just like, okay, this is going to be cool. They're going to feature songs throughout this movie, and then they drop it for a really good musical score, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Like a really, yeah. Yeah. I think it's really well done. It, but I think that's re- was really jarring uh, to me as a fan who grew up on Miami Vice and using real music for movies. Uh, and this was ripe for it. And they didn't do that. So I think that kind of hurt it, too. Um, you know, and, and I think, like you're saying, the tone was a little off. Like, moments of it are comedic. Then moments of it are... Uh, and I think audiences weren't sophisticated enough to really get that just yet. They're like, wait, am I supposed to be scared right now? Or am I supposed to be laughing at Jeremy Piven's stupid jerks that he does all the time? You know, because <laughs> right. Yeah. Right, he thinks he's so cool because he does. Oh, yeah. Side note, do you know that Jeremy Piven one time left a tip at a restaurant? He gave them a, bo- uh, a box set of Entourage as the tip. So he's he's a dick. 
So he is that he is that character that he is the yeah, character totally. he plays. Yeah. Yes, he yeah. is. Wow. And I love him. I love him in PCU. I think that's where I had seen him prior to this and one crazy summer. He was uh, he was great in Gross Point Blank as he well. He was great in that too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's a great then, movie. Yeah. I forgot about that one. I, I rewatched Gross Point Blank with my wife like eh, five months ago, six months ago, introduced her to it. She'd never seen it before. I hadn't seen it like in 20 years. Still holds up very well. It's a very nice. fun movie. Nice. Totally. I gotta, re- I gotta check, that, check that out again. Yeah. yeah. But what, one thing I wanted to mention, you, you were talking about the characters in this. One thing I really liked is you discover their relationships as the movie goes. Yeah, that's so cool. So you, you don't quite know, like, how close Cuba Gooden Jr. is with Amelia Esther or with Francis. You know what I mean? Like, and But you get it over time, you know? And it's that's what was cool. A lot of times these movies, you know, they, they do the, the tropey dialogue where they set everybody up. And they do a little bit of that here at the beginning beginning but i think what really worked about it was you you know in real life these movies are a cross-section of people who've known each other for 20 years no one looks at the camera and says i've known this person for 20 years and this and that like you know what i mean like and but they will say things during their course of their dialogue their natural dialogue that you realize oh they've known each other for a while and stuff and that's the kind of stuff that i like and then also too like the the villains there wasn't like an endless supply there were the the four they had their own personalities none of them felt like you know none of them felt like they were particularly cannon fodder for any any reason they they all felt like they had something happening right it wasn't just we're not just seeing this night like there was something before this and unfortunately for the gang there will be nothing after this but like <laughs> you, you just got the sense that like the, they were they were fleshed out characters not like you know the best in the entire world but much better than they needed to be for this film i really like the stakes that they threw us into which were the four let's call them heroes versus the four villains but the heroes are completely outmatched because of guns right the bad guys each have a gun the good guys have one gun to share amongst them and uh, jeremy piven's character is hiding it for most of the time so it's like i remember just at the age when i saw it like 14 um, uh, just your, your, that mentality of a, of a 14 year old boy is that I would do so good in that situation against these, these thugs, right? Like I, I'm so tough and I could, uh, I could get, defeat one of those guys who has a gun. Uh, but that's not, that's not the case. Right. So I don't, I just, I really identified, um, with the four good guys and their struggle uh, when the only thing kind of missing was like the guns and, you know, they, they run for a while. They eventually just get tired of running and make a stand. And I, I think they just, they did a really good job of just progressing these characters in kind of like this night of hell, um, on a real human level, like what, what might actually occur? Like I could almost see that happening, you know, like I think Zach mentioned before, uh, like that's these events you could they're just they're believable for that reason like that any of us could take a wrong turn get into the wrong area meet some you know some you know uh hard hard ass characters and be thrown in a situation like this and you know um yeah as as you know as tough as we might like to be watching it and thinking like yeah i would do way better than this the real scenario is you'd probably start running you know you'd probably need to start running just like they did so Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I've been I've been jumped a few times, and uh, and and it that's typically the the outcome is we're all running away because at that point when yeah. someone yells out, uh, "Get your gun," we're like, "Okay, yeah, time to go." 
go, go, exactly. go, go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, one thing I wanted to jump in and say too was, um, man, they really paint uh, Francis's wife as sympathetic from the get go sarcasm inserted uh, <laughs> jesus my man is, my first note is his wife's a bitch yeah i was yeah. like mm, yeah yeah she's, got a, good, she's got a good line though like why does he get to go out she hasn't been out yet like why is he yeah why is she staying at home with the newborn baby and, and he gets to go out? i kind of like it i think it really adds to the whole movie because like just think of how like how francis was feeling um in like probably in the middle of this situation He's probably feeling a little bit bad about doing it, like kind of leaving his wife at home. And then he gets stuck in this just shit situation, just shit. And he's probably thinking, I could be at home with my wife and my baby, but I decided (laughs) I needed to get out. And now I'm stuck in this situation where I might die. My friends might die. I I love how just that small moment at the beginning escalates things for him because (laughs) he might be thinking that in the back of his head, like, just if I was just at home, you know, I could just be at home. This sucks. So I, I like yeah. it for that reason. I, no, I, I don't disagree with you at all. Uh, I just think it's really funny. And it was a little cliche because it, it's like this idea of once you have a kid, suddenly you're you're not the person you used to be because they keep giving they keep saying to him, especially um, Cuba's character, you know, keeps telling him he's like, that's the old Ray I know. That's the <laughs> Ray I know. I'm like the Ray, you know, that's the Ray, like who the guy who would kick the shit out of people and call, kill somebody because they called him Francis, which is totally taken from stripes, by the way. I have to say that, too. Um, <laughs> oh, but it? yeah, it's totally taken from stripes, which is great. I mean, it, I don't have a problem with it, but yeah, it's it's super believable. And I don't I don't blame her for being uh, bitter. Because, you know, oh, yeah, I, I remember, like, fortunately, my wife and I, our situation situ- situation is when I would go out, she was like, just go like have fun, you know, but I know more times than not, it's usually not the case when a when a wife is seeing her husband leave and just go fine have fun with your friends mm. <laughs> i'm okay since we're talking about the wife and the baby i just want to interject with with one thing is that i uh read a user review for this movie on imdb and i just wanted to read it because i think it's it's kind of fitting and it goes like this <laughs> my name is carly Doer. i was in the movie the little baby on the porch frank's daughter in the movie i was wondering if i made a comment if maybe i would be put in the cast I mean, the kid on the swing was, <laughs> ha ha, since I, since, since I must write a minimum of 10 lines, I might as well give a review. I was 14 when I finally was able to watch this movie due to the violence and it being rated R. My parents finally allowed me to watch the full film, not just the beginning where I'm in for a little bit. Uh, a good three minutes or so, LOL. Oh I've watched it so many times and show all my friends. It's such a cool movie and it never gets old. Uh, not to mention is funny as hell and it definitely is a nail biter. It's a good movie on a rainy day. It's one of those movies you won't want to end. Nice. Now, gi- now give me my SAG card. <laughs> yeah. I think she just uh, wrote the review for us. I think there's not much more so. to say. Yeah. And good night. No. <laughs> yeah. We should have got her on the podcast. <laughs> she should get a credit. Get her yeah. in the credits. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. she should. She, she's pretty, pretty, you know, and I love Emilio like gives her a kiss. He's like, hey, hey there. Hey there. <laughs> when she comes out, he sees. <laughs> it's just so funny. Emilio was kind of on a somewhat of a downturn of his career, I'd mm. say at this point, because uh, up until the judgment night, 
you know, in the eighties, he was, he was playing hotheads and, and cocky guys like repo man and, and young guns and, uh, and maximum overdrive, maximum overdrive and wisdom. And, and then he, he goes and does all those mighty duck movies. Right. And, um, and, and suddenly he becomes like, Oh, he's the lovable fun guy. He's right. the Steve Gutenberg, you know, and he's not a tough guy anymore. And so I think this was like, I don't, I'm assuming that this could have been like a, try to turn his career more serious again right instead of playing these comedy roles which this was the point like his his voice gets really high at times and kind of pitchy and i'm just like come on guys like he's a little whiny you know and um and but then he ultimately redeems himself as cuba gooding cuba gooding like degrades himself as time goes on yeah (laughs) definitely yeah, what was up with that? <laughs> but I was gonna say you, you were talking about he makes that they make that stand right, and that very well lit sewer scene. By the way, <laughs> yes, yes, I noticed it was really you could see everything down there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was like for being in nighttime. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know my favorite guy out of that gang was Peter Green. Peter Green from uh, he's yeah. in Pulp Fiction and yeah. uh, yes. actually was a heroin addict at one point mm. and and kicked that. Oh. He, he made a movie. Uh, where he kind of plays a heroin addict in it, like mm. it was kind of art imitates life yeah, in a way. Yeah. That guy's a really kick-ass actor. Yeah, yep. and uh, Sykes. He's great in Usual Suspects too. Is, usual... What is his name? Redfoot or something? Yeah, that? yeah. That's right. Was he? Yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah. Was he a detective mm-hmm. in that? I always liked it because I think he flicks his cigarette and, and yeah. someone or they flick it to him and he's, it hits him like in, in yeah, the yeah, face, the like it's something. a total fu- like mess up, you know. But but it's it's in there. Yeah, I like him too, dude. I, I really uh, I liked him. I liked uh, you know uh, the Edge. Um, <laughs> the other <laughs> the other guy with the long hair was was okay. Okay, he's he was probably the the closest that you have to um the the cannon fodder. But one thing that like I thought was cool about Cuba Gooding Jr.'s character was when he had uh, uh the uh, Redbone <laughs> Red, Redbone <laughs> Redbone when he had him with the gun dead to rights. Like you know, in any other movie, the the hero wouldn't shoot him, and and like that guy would get yeah, the yeah, gun back, yeah. and it'd be a fight. But no, Cuba Gooding would you, like when this guy was like like what are you gonna do? Cuba like pow, that's what I'm gonna do, and that's like that's. That's what I like to see sometimes where, uh, uh, like, I, I want to, we talk about that on pad sometimes. Like, like, well, a character will, like, knock an enemy out and take their gun and and, and run away, and that enemy is going to come back later and do I'm like, no, shoot them in the face right there when they're knocked out. Just kill them. Yeah. Take them out of the equation. And I like that he did that here. I thought that was very cool. I will say some of Kuba's acting was a bit extra, in my opinion. There was a lot of, of wide faces yes. and, and a lot of. A lot of face acting going on, and I was like, I know Cuba is 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 a is a you know Academy Award winning actor, but man, you're you're hamming it up this movie, buddy. You really are. I think there was a lot of things that they set up to get to that moment, to get to that moment where he pulls the trigger. A lot of kind of some some of them weren't so subtle, and some of them were subtle. But just being able to like at the beginning step in in that fight and just have total control over it, just like. Um, bending that guy's arm back and it's just like okay he knows he knows what he's doing he knows how to get like get that guy in a position he doesn't want to be in defuse the situation and then with the with the gun when he took out the gun he just knew how to handle that thing um, where Jeremy Piven was kind of you know take just showing it in the drawer taking it out and he took it out and he knew what everything was doing and just put it back and I was like okay he knows he, he's he's been around he knows some stuff here and so it and I and I like that we know that but we don't ever he doesn't ever say oh I was a cop or I was, we just, we, there's something there and they don't tell you what it is, but all of his character traits line up 
to yeah. it, you know? And so you're like, okay, there's, he's, he's some kind of, not a gun nut, but he's something. There's right. something to him. He even says, like, uh, um, you know, I always wanted to know how I would fare in battle, you know, how I would handle it. Combat, so, yeah. Yeah, and I like, that's that's the writing that I like, because they don't just come out and tell you in the dialogue, oh, he used to be a cop, or he was in the military, but I assumed he was ex-military, is what I yeah. assumed. Well, he knows how to d- defuse a situation, uh, <laughs> you know, in the beginning when, when that dude, that dipshit uh, knocks into their... I yeah. love that. I love that guy. I just, I love that I scene. love that. I love that guy, too. <laughs> hey, fuck you, whatever he says. You know, sorry if there's not a lot of curse, but uh, yeah, I love that, too, and and, and I mean, we've all been there with some asshole drivers, you know, yeah. cutting you off or not letting you in. And I love that they went they they went the neck the extra nine yards with that scene, kind of to show off how cocky they were. Like, oh, I'll take care of this, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I just I wanted to go back really quick before I forget um, when we were talking about the soundtrack, right? And, and, and the soundtrack being so jarringly different. The music the music supervisor for this movie was uh, Catherine Rockman, who I think is the one who has done a ton of she does all Quentin Tarantino's movies. Mm. And so you get the sense that as in all his movies, the soundtrack is featured prominently Mm -hmm. and suddenly the soundtrack is like nowhere to be seen. And I'm wondering like if she, she's sitting back going, okay, well I made this great soundtrack for you guys. Yeah. You know, thanks for not using it. it. Cause didn't, because didn't Alan Silvestri do the score for this film? Yeah, yeah he and did, yeah. So so I wonder if like maybe they got that bomb-ass soundtrack first, and then they, they got Alan Silvestri afterwards, and they're like, oh, crap. Well, we got to use him now, you yeah. know, and let's just... But I even I noticed it, like, or I guess I noticed a lack of awesome music in this movie. I mean, it was fine and all, but like as much as people talk about the soundtrack for this film... Mm. I wasn't impressed with what was in the movie. And we know that, you know, it's, it's vastly different than the soundtrack, but I, I didn't know that until this conversation now. So I, I was like watching it, kind of waiting for this bomb ass soundtrack to, to, to pop didn't up. Happen. And I just, I, yeah, yeah, I was never quite like impressed with it. I think this is probably the most uh, infamous movie to have an amazing soundtrack that they never even use. <laughs> <laughs> that would make sense why they released it before the movie then, right? Because no one's buying that soundtrack yeah. after the movie because there's nothing there. Oh, yeah. You easily could yeah. have incorporated it better. Mm-hmm. There's so many opportunities to do that and still keep your score that I, I don't know. I don't know why they didn't. Doesn't make sense to me. I You did bring up uh, the Cuba with a gun and it just – because I wrote these in my notes and, and now it's making – a finally making a connection for me. In the opening of the movie and they all get on the uh, Winnebago – uh, and there's the, there's the Nintendo, the old school Nintendo on the TV set. There's uh, Cuba's character picks up the gun yeah, nice. and, and Piven in a racist way is like, well, that's not right for you or something mm. like that. And I'm like, I just wrote down that was racist. Uh, mm. But now it makes sense that he picks up the gun. He's like, oh, no, no, no. That's because maybe he knows something about his past. Right. Thing. That's a, comes that's a great point, yeah. Zach. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Thanks. And then still, that's where Piven does his stupid jerkiness, and then let's just like, oh, man. you're not cool, dude. You're not cool. You're not cool, guy. Piven, oh, I love him though. I love, I love him in that movie. Go, oh, go yeah. ahead, Dean. Go ahead. I was gonna say his character makes so many bad choices. Yeah, he's in this ha- totally. he's having the worst night of anybody. He's having the he does every single thing. He does the opposite what he should. Like he's <laughs> yes. picking up the phone to call the police while he's chugging vodka or whatever. Like you're yeah. the driver, dude. It's probably right. time to stop doing that. You're calling the police. <laughs> Ray. Ray, he was horrible. He was so horrible. <laughs> 
and that haircut is terrible like just shave your head yeah. like like back in 93 when like like you you see it in the 80s and early 90s it's like he looks like he's like 40 but he's probably like 27 because of that damn totally, hair yeah. just cut it you know great scene with him though when he when he gets killed uh it's one of the yeah. classic scenes mm-hmm. in the movie great scene. because great i i mean for myself i'm i'm probably this is one of the things i wanted to ask you dean because you're the freshest to this yep. movie but I felt like on the rewatch this time, and just I'll throw it there, I, I think it completely held up. I, I loved the rewatch. Mm-hmm. Um, but even like on this rewatch, I feel like he's going to talk his way out of it. Like they're, they're for mm. sure letting you, leading you on to the fact that this could be the end of this scenario right then and there. Uh, and then they, you know, they flip it and he gets killed. Uh, what were you feeling at like when that conversation was going on where he's trying to talk his way out of like getting killed? Yeah, didn't feel that at all. Felt the complete opposite. I knew the whole time he's dying here because really, hey? because he's such like he's such a sleazeball who's just like lying to everyone. And we know that from the beginning, like the reason he even has that like RV is just because he's he lied to um uh, whatever the, the guy at the dealership. And yeah. I, so I just knew he's going to say something and they're going to be like you're not telling the truth and they're just going to kill him. So when it started out and um, he was just saying like a hundred thousand dollars, I'm like, they're going to figure it out. They're going to figure out that he's not going to do that. So then when they say, no, you know, can't be bought for a hundred thousand. And then he says 200 and they're like, okay, that's when I'm like, for sure they are putting a bullet in his head right now, or they are throwing him over the side. Cause they were not even yeah. going to think about a hundred, but 200, of course. Yeah. We're good with 200. I was like, no way, no <laughs> chance. This guy is done here. They definitely and got was, me then. Yeah. I was kind of, uh, I was, I was kind of happy with it. Maybe because I was 14 watching it, but I was like, he did it. He, he is the razor <laughs> man. He is the, the great salesman. He can, <laughs> he can talk himself out of, out of whatever, but yeah. Um, no. And it, and it's interesting what the movie had done to me at that point because uh, Dennis Leary is just, uh, he's so good. And he's, I, I just wanted to see him on the screen more. And Jeremy yeah. Piven was such a weasel that I wanted him to stop being on the screen. So mm. I'm in that moment. I'm just like, Dennis Leary, let's go. I want, I want you to do whatever you got to do right here. You continue on in the movie. He can be done. Yeah. Yeah, no, that I think you're you're right. I felt the same way when you put, you know, I mean, Jeremy Piven is quote unquote, like Tim says, one of our heroes. You put him next to Dennis Leary and you're like, if one of these two characters die, you know, you know which one you want it to be. And and it's not it's not the way the movie is sort of set up to be. And you shouldn't be rooting for Dennis Leary to do what he's going to do. But boy, oh boy, is it satisfying when it finally happens. And you're like, wow, yeah. Maybe maybe we're rooting for the wrong people here. Yeah. You know, Piven Piven used that gun. He pointed at at, at somebody once in this movie, and it was his own friends. <laughs> like, yeah. right? Like that's I'm his character. And the, yeah, and I'm glad they they called it out. I'm glad you called it out because I think that is an important part of of his character. Is like how spineless he is. Now, I will say. He, I do think that he, in his own way, stepped up to the plate here at the end to do what he thought was was he was going to do right, and he, you know, whatever. Um, I just, I kind of wish him doing it kind of bought his friends more time because they were already divided. You know what I mean? It, like, so him, whatever happened to him right there wasn't going to matter no matter what because there was that gap in between the 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 the. the 
ladder had already been gone. He threw it down. So, or I guess, no, I take it back. He, he threw it. So he was sort of sacrificing himself. I don't know. It just, it feels weird. It feels hollow as a sacrifice because you're rooting for the, the bad guy. That's why I think it's, it's, it feels hollow, even though I guess, I guess in his own way, Razor Man did the best he could with, you know, the tools that he had at his disposal. But I just didn't feel like, I just didn't feel like it was, it didn't do anything for his friends. Like it didn't really help his friends that much. They, well, his, his friends in sort of every circumstance needed to run sooner, faster, further in every single case. <laughs> like they always left too late. They didn't go fast enough and they weren't going far enough. So him dying actually helps his friends, ultimately, just by yeah. the fact that he's not dead weight anymore. Yeah. Did you see the way he was running? His, his, yeah, I know. His, his, his gait was yeah. terrible. I was like, what the hell is going on? He, like, <laughs> if there was ever a definition of flailing, he was the flailer. Yeah. Like, uh, he wasn't the razor man. He was the flailer man. <laughs> I mean, it's funny. I think that's maybe one of the reasons. I didn't mind it, but I think audiences um, are not used to seeing him he felt like a real character to me. We all know oh, dicks yeah. like that. And I think maybe an audience was expecting all four to be likable and, and, and root for all of them, but you didn't root for him in any, and yeah, yeah, I think you were, I, I I'm with you, Tim. I didn't like for a split nanosecond rewatching this. I'm like, wait, I know he dies, but he's really doing a convincing job right now of selling himself. Like he's a good seller. You know, he's a good, uh, Glen Gary, Glenn Ross guy, but mm-hmm. Clearly, Dennis Leary, Dennis Leary's not buying it, and neither was any of them because at the end, he, you know, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. He just said 100, 100, whatever it was, uh, is for closers only. Yeah, you know, exactly. for closers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and I love at the end, after he's dead, uh, Everlast throws his ring mm-hmm. at him yeah. on the ground, which is hilarious. That was nice. Um, yeah, and, and, I, and I dig the the interaction that Leary's gang had with the other gang, you know, on their turf. Mm-hmm. Yep. That was yeah. cool, like a sign of respect. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think th- if if this movie came out today, it, I think it would get well much better reception than it did in 93 because I think we're more sophisticated. We're like, yeah, that could happen. Yeah. Yeah. The gangs are cool. Like I can dig on the gang, but I think back in 93 people were like, wait, no, I'm supposed to hate that guy. And and it's very like clear cut. Mm -hmm. You know, we hadn't had, I think, I think fight club kind of changed all that where we were like, wait, okay, who's the good guy? Who's the bad guy? Who's the, who, wait, I don't know what's going on right now. The late nineties changed that dramatically usual suspect stuff like that. But we were still in that cliche cookie cutter, like you're either good or you're bad. That's about it, you know. And and I think, you know, like as far as body count goes, only one of our heroes die. So it's it's kind of like a low body count, but which is kind of weird. You, you think a movie like this is like more, it's like going to be just down to the, the two brothers, right? Or something like that at the end. It just, that's what the, the trope that you think it's going to fit. You know, Dennis Leary and his group, you know, you, you probably are assuming he, he's not going to be white. He's probably going to be, like, African-American or something. Like, they're doing all these little different things. And then they're, they're honestly, as silly as some of the stuff is, I think most of the movie tries to be as realistic as possible. So, like, yeah, we only have one of our heroes die. You know, we have people shot. And when they're shot, they're, they're kind of, like, out of commission. You know, it's not like Arnold Schwarzenegger. They're not, you know, fighting. One of my biggest pet peeves in, in a movie, and it's so 
apparent in like Starship Troopers when when Diaz gets her gets you know the the brain bug you know puts a blade through her, her arm and then you know when Rika rescues her she's using a machine gun when she has a hole in her arm the size of like a soda can and I hate that crap but in here you know Cuba Gooding Jr. he's shot in the stomach. And you can tell, like, he is messed up, and, you know, he he's, it's just, it. and then, like, you know, how how Jeremy Piven's character dies, he just gets pushed. Like, it wasn't, like, some elaborate scheme, it wasn't something crazy, he, he just pushes him to death. And then, you know, they shoot back, one guy gets sort of hit, you know, it's like, there's all these little moments that are just, I, I found to be super realistic. Like, they, they had a choice to make, they could have gone, like, Arnold Schwarzenegger style and gone big, or they, they went, no, you know what maybe it was budget sure but they went nah let's let's go more realistic how would this be you know and 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 I think that works especially when you juxtapose it with with Dennis Leary's energy mm-hmm. you know and and he has this menace to him um it it's it's sort of it kind of I feel like this movie sort of has one foot in the uh King of New York you know realm and and there is like some some threat to it but you know Dennis Leary's energy is just so different than Christopher Walken's he's just he's his own you know beast in this movie but at the same time he's not a super villain in this movie which is what I think is cool he doesn't know Every like, oh, they're gonna go over here. You, I'm gonna, you will run over. Like, they're just following him. And even when they were waiting, uh, you know, with the hobos in in the cars, um, even his friend was like, they just they ran off. And he's like, no, like this feels wrong. Like I can feel it, you know. And that's that's like a that's a dialogue you'd get from the hero, not from like mm. your villain. So I, yeah, it's it's weird. It's a weird movie because you're you're rooting for Dennis Leary the entire film, even though you you know you shouldn't be. Yeah, it's it, I really like the the four on four aspect to it where like we're we get lost with our our four friends that have just been kind of hanging out drinking beers having a good time they get lost and you start turning down these dark alleys and i'm thinking okay like wrong turn what are we gonna get into here what are we gonna find i was even thinking like what are they gonna run into vampires like (laughs) i didn't know right i was just like what's gonna (laughs) happen here and then it just ends up being four guys who were, you know, shooting someone else. And that's, that's it. It's just a four, four on four here. And the one guy yeah. is kind of charismatic. You know, he's got this weird energy that I enjoy. And that's what I appreciated it, it. That's what made it feel more real, like, and feel like they could actually escape this. Because it's like, they just got to get out of the way of these four guys. Mm hmm. And I, I'm going to jump right to the end, but it, it pertains to what we were just talking about and like the realism of it. When he th- kills Dennis Leary and throws him down, you're waiting for him to jump back up and, and grab the gun and, sure. and do something, but it's not. He he he's he's dead. Like like a normal person would be. And I was like, oh, that's really cool actually you know like he's laying there with his eyes open fully you're fully expecting him to grab Emilio Estevez's leg or something but he doesn't that's fucking cool okay let's hold on hold on for a second since we're at the ending um so when when they've got the close-up on Dennis Leary's face there did everybody see his eye like twitch yeah yeah he was Uh, so close he was so close to keeping it he was so close here's the thing I, I wonder what that was and I mean at first I thought yeah maybe he just wasn't able to hold it but I wonder if there's possibly a couple other options as to why that happened on purpose. Um, at first, I wondered maybe they're trying to set up a sequel where he looks like he's dead, but he isn't quite mm. dead yet because we don't actually see any closure to the Dennis Leary character after that. We assume he's no. dead. Um, but also, 
as Emilio, Emilio Estevez um, is walking through that swap meet that they're in, a gun gets put to the back of his head and it turns out to be a police officer. Mm-hmm. But I wondered if they were just trying to set up the fact that maybe Dennis Leary is still alive and this is going to continue because uh, it, it just it seemed like a really big miss to have in the movie. And like, why wouldn't you just reshoot, you know, that scene where he doesn't twitch his eye? I, I don't know. I don't know what what that was. It seemed weird to me. I don't like seeing stuff like that in the movie because you want him to be dead. You don't want to see people breathing or eyes moving. But the more I thought about it, I wondered if that was on purpose for some other reason. I don't know. Well, apparently this had a lot of different writers uh, or considered for it. At one point, John Carpenter was considered as a writer for this movie, which is pretty cool. Well, I think he wrote. I think uh, he did write some of it. I think it bounced around to a bunch of different writers who all like had their hand in the writing of it. And eventually yeah. the guy that got credited, I heard the guy that got credited for it barely did any of the writing. He did like some touch-ups <laughs> to it, but it had just hit so many other people that nobody else could get credited because he was the one who touched it the most, even though it was just a small amount. So, uh, Yeah, it sounds yeah. like this movie had a lot of that going on with it. Like it was like last minute decisions and just finally got the movie made. Like Emilio wasn't even considered the lead after, um, I think, what is it? I was reading... Uh, uh, Christian Slater passed on it, and so did um, which, which actually would have been pretty cool to consider. Um, and, and you know, it's it's just, and I think Charlie Sheen actually might have passed on it too, but he his crew was <laughs> going in a different direction also. Um, it's funny, I didn't even notice the eye twitch. Uh, uh, to be honest with you, and, and Zach will tell you, like I look for that. I I very much enjoy looking for those things in movies. Um, I didn't even notice it, but uh, next time I watch it, I, I I'll definitely look for it. I, my my head cannon will be that was just a a, a death rattle. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <you> sure. <know. laughs> one one thing I wish they would have changed was. Um, the photo of Frank and his family in his wallet, because it's a terrible photo of him and his wife and kids. If you pause that scene and you look at it a little bit more, he has the goofiest freaking look on his face. Um, it is such an awkward photo. And, and also by the way, um, in this day and age with someone's giving, they're giving their wallets out to these homeless guys. The homeless guys are not holding them up. So they've got plenty of time to take out, whatever they want to keep basically. Yeah. You know, yeah. he just hands over his whole wallet to the, the, the group, the homeless gang in, in the train, you know, yeah. where I'm like, just take your cash out, dude. You know? And I love that, uh, that, uh, when, when, when Steven Dorff's character gives, gives his money to him, he's got a condom on top and <laughs> yeah, yeah. I saw that. he's that cool guy. <laughs> that was great. Yeah. <laughs> Corey, uh, I just wanted to play off of something you said about the, the believability of when these characters got shot and how they made that look. Uh, that was something I just wanted to, to bring up as well was that in that final fight scene there, the damage from the, the, like Emilio actually fighting with Dennis Leary was, was completely real. Like uh, he, Mm -hmm. he gets punched maybe two or three times and his face is busted up. He's got a a busted nose. He's got a busted cut on his eye. That's not something you normally see in these movies, right? You got, you've got your mega heroes who get hit by an explosion and are just, they're fine. There's no marks, but this is more realistic. I think that's one of the things that helps just helps us feel like, uh, this is on the the level of believability for us is that this guy gets punched and he bleeds, right? That's it's yeah. so yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. 
Yeah, or or his friend just gets one, you know, one shot and in in his dead. There's no like, you know, unload the whole clip in him or something like that. Right. But that is that is something I hate. I I mean, I love it when it's like a Schwarzenegger movie, but when it's a more realistic action movie and the the hero goes through hell, I want to see the the hell on their face, you know. And I yeah. do appreciate in a movie when they actually give an actor like having their face, you know, beat up again. Go back to Starship Troopers. I mean, everyone is beautiful in that movie and there's no uh you know there nothing is on their face even though they've been messed up i love that movie by the way i don't know why i'm, I'm totally well, ragging on it right now but i was gonna, uh, <laughs> I was gonna jump in and say though is it because but isn't starship troopers a not a parody well satire, satire. yeah, and, yeah. It's, and it's a bad example because it is a satire so there is like a purpose to that but yeah it's but i do i i agree with you tim it's it's yeah it's i like it when you actually see the damage on our heroes i mean after uh you know um the warriors when when the warriors finally get to coney island i mean you can just tell and it's you know they might not be so beat up but they're acting the way they they feel exhausted you can tell you can feel it and you know and here for the most part, it's fine, but of course, at the the very end in the denouement scene, when you know the the paramedics are there, you know I do love that Kuba Gooding Jr. was having a hard time breathing because normally you'd be like, "Yo, bro, it's all good, man." Yeah, and he was like, "I'm gonna make it." And honestly, like he might not make it. You know what I mean? Like even though the paramedics are there, he might not make it. Um, but I liked that. I liked that. And, and then, you know, his brother getting shot in the leg. It's like, yeah, like any other freaking movie, I'm like, oh, I can limp, but I'm going to still fight you. Here it's like, no, you need to just, you need to go sit down because you're going to bleed out because that's what would happen. You know, like, my God. I, I like that. I like that kind of stuff. Uh, I want to, I just want to talk about where this movie falls flat for me. And it's that for so much of this movie, they're running away and it's fast paced. And then at the end, they just stop. They hide. Everything slows down. And I, it d- didn't seem like it fit for me. I would have preferred if this movie continued to run for the final scenes. Have the same thing happening, but keep them out on the street. Keep them hiding in alleys behind dumpsters. Don't go in somewhere and decide to hide and just it was just it seemed it was too jarring to see most of this movie at the pace it was going and then just to have everything flip a 180 and now it's like a bit of like a stealth like okay now we're hiding we're going to sneak around it it didn't do it for me and I, I'm going to have to agree with you there because having just reviewed The Warriors, where a movie where they are constantly moving the entire time, there is something kinetic about that. There is something exciting about that. And I do love like people making a stand and, and fighting back. And I love that trope of like, you know, you get brutalized by this group of people and then the last half of the movie is you getting everything back at them. It doesn't quite go that way here. Like as hardcore, it's not like the hills have eyes or something, but I I like that kind of, but here I'm with you. I wish the energy kept at a forward pace and like maybe every new section you, they were able to take out one new, you know, (laughs) Everlast gets taken out here or this guy gets taken out there. Redfoot gets taken out over here. It's like, you know, and and then you whittle it down to get to the, uh, to the, get to the end. And then there's something that forces you to kind of have to make that stand right there or whatever. But yeah, it is weird. It's almost like, it's almost tonally like, like two different movies at that point it shifts 
Yeah, I I think the one thing that I was always was always thinking about uh, towards like the end of the movie um, was that as soon as Francis loses his wallet, he's got to think, I have to take this guy out. I can't run and go home. I can't be home after this because he knows about where I live. He knows my name. He has my driver's license. So I and it was never brought up. It was never like, I have to do this. We have to go and and end him. And I yeah, so that that I thought was kind of strange. I would have liked to seen um, a potential, you know, the the three of them making it out safely, and and Frank never realizing that that um, Dennis Leary's character has his wallet, mm. and then getting home, and then them being at his house, and mm-hmm, turning yeah. it into a home invasion story where he's got to defend, you know, and I don't know, that could be kind of cool. Well, I think that's where the sequel comes into play, because th- if you have if you have um, Leary at the end twitching his eye like he's still alive, he's got Francis's wallet. So you could end the movie and then you can do the second one where Leary is still alive and yeah, goes to Fra- Francis's house. Right. So uh, or like I, or you could take this and like end the entire movie 20 minutes early have be ambiguous on whether Dennis Leary survived or not. And then do one of those weird things where you go and do like almost like a whole different movie. It's like a couple months later and Francis knows that he had that Dennis Leary has his, his you know address. So his wife and kid are gone and he's mm. waiting at the house. And then it turns into like a collection type of scenario. The movie, the collection where like now Dennis Leary and his friends go to try to attack and they, and they step into a massive, trap where where you know Emilio Estevez's character basically just off someone at a time that almost would be like a, a horror movie like sort of shift but I think you could I, I mean I wouldn't be surprised that would be a total pitch like a 2021 pitch that's like I don't think 1993 yeah. audience would not be ready for a movie like that right. but I think something right. like that would work very well now and if you remade it now I wouldn't be surprised if someone suggests that like it's going to turn into this at the end you know throw your expectations out the window sort of scenario you also have to call that judgment month with which just doesn't roll off the tongue <laughs> that's, that's, the same that's way. true that's true that's true, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. or maybe the little baby comes back and has revenge on everybody because she didn't there you uh, go she never got her name in the credits <laughs> yes there we go that's the remake <laughs> and she gets her sag card <laughs> uh, i i i do i do want to mention my my little weird connection to this movie is that i still have in my phone Michael DeLorenzo's phone number because I met him (laughs) I met him at a party in Hollywood like uh, 10 years ago I'm sure that the uh, that the phone number is long gone call the number call right now tell him we're reviewing the movie (laughs) (laughs) give him a call but, but we were we were at like a magazine party because I used to be a photography assistant uh, for this like magazine uh, photographer, and we were just at this party, and I just like, hey, you, and he was drunk, I was drunk, we we're just talking. He was a really nice guy, and nice. I got yeah. his number. I don't know why. That's, that's, that's awesome. awesome. That is First awesome. of all, that's <laughs> totally awesome, and second, <clears throat> I, I think people, um, he's kind, it's kind of a big deal that he has such a small role in this movie. Like he's. He plays just like a, a random one-off character, like a pivotal character, but he's only in it for maybe like five minutes max. Yeah. And yeah. granted, he hadn't done New York Undercover up to this point, but he'd already done A Few Good Men. Um, he, he he was recognizable. He's yeah. definitely a recognizable face. 
So yep. when you see him, I think that was jarring to me because I, I knew I knew who he was when I saw this. And I think at the time, too, I was like, wait, are we going to see more of him? Kind of like the the I'm a, I'm a let I'm assuming that they were a, a, a gay couple with the kid the living in the apartment complex. The ones that let them. Uh, yes. Mm, right. So, yeah. like, they, I thought we were going to see more of them in some way, mm-hmm. you know? Because like, I, I recognized mm-hmm. both of those actresses. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah I think they, I, I, I didn't look up their names, but I guarantee you we've seen them on television or other, some other movies or something back in the day. Yeah. Yeah, you, you feel like they, they got some really strong, um, you know, supporting character, supporting actors in this movie that, that, kind of were underutilized they could have used them even longer you know i mean yeah i think all the the side characters in the movie the the actors were great in them like like we said earlier the guy they get in a fight with you know in the in traffic like that that guy does a great job like that actor does a great job right there his his girlfriend does a great job too like in all of you know two seconds that she has and Mm -hmm. i love these movies that fill the cast out with such great character actors that you're just like, oh man, I, I want to see more and more of that person, but they're only on screen for like two minutes. And yeah, Michael DeLorenzo, he he was, like you said, he was great in like the, the short amount of time that he was there, but he was also recognizable. And I, it, it almost felt like one of those things where like this was shot first, kind of put on the shelf maybe for a little bit. And then, you know, a few good men pop or something like that or, or whatever he was in. And then, you know, this comes out and you're like, wait a minute, he's, he's bigger. Like he wouldn't have taken this role now you know what i mean but yeah it was it was he was he's and he's good he's a good actor in this and i like that there was no there were no actors no characters in this movie that stood out as being like oh that that sucked like even the gang the gang of kids that dennis leary has to parlay with like they were fine too there was just there was no bad acting in this and i and i like that scene i loved the line where he was like you can't take my money but you can take my money Right, that was yeah. and then and then the kid goes the kid goes oh there's blood on this he's like what like what do you see something like like what money doesn't you know what you I ever mean? seen any that ever seen any that didn't and that yeah. shit that's the shit that this was cool and that's the shit that I think like elevates this movie you know Dennis Leary elevates this movie from from where it could have been and just he brings that like when he's doing the the Dennis Leary thing the you know what I hate you know it's just the Dennis Leary thing but he just rattles off his lines he doesn't blink he doesn't even move and you're like my god that he doesn't even breathe he just like talks yeah. and it's just man he it, doesn't move he doesn't breathe <laughs> he, just, yeah, he, just, <laughs> like he just vomits words it's almost like you're 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 saying something from the movie. <laughs> ah, like yeah, the tagline. The tagline. The tag tag yeah. <laughs> which they, I think which that's they, a great. Go ahead. Go, go ahead, Zach. I was going to say it, it. It. They. They bust that line out in the beginning of the movie. You know, fifteen minutes. I'm like, dude, come on, save it for a little bit longer. Kill one <laughs> yeah, person. <right>. Off <laughs> I was just going to say, Corey, I, I agree, and I love um, that we give some love to Dennis Leary here because at this point he's mostly known for being a comedian, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. He's not like a big movie star. So uh, this is another thing that I'm realizing when I see this movie the first time. I'm like, I like Dennis Leary, the comedian. Yep. This will be interesting how he does in this role. And he like steps up to the plate and hits a home run. Um, I'm just, I'm still blown away with his performance. It's just how 
how excellent of an actor he is at this point. So and we don't uh, get shout like out a, to that guy. And we don't get like a bunch of Dennis Leary movies after this. Like you would yeah. think that this would have like opened ref. that the doors. The ref yeah, was pretty much it. And and by the way, I was a was a huge fan of the ref back in the day. I I love that when he punches Santa Claus in the face. It's fantastic. Great movie. It's a great. It's a Christmas movie. It's fantastic. Yeah, Christmas movie. Yeah. <laughs> but like, like yeah, like I guess I guess the answer is I think he went on to do like Rescue Me a little a couple of years later. But yeah, why didn't we see like a bunch of Dennis Leary villain movies? Because yeah. he was freaking fantastic as a villain in this he was great when he was like you're saying when he was rattling off those lines when he had like a couple things to say and he's just going through them super like i'm so engaged at that point it's just like this guy's a movie star this guy knows what he's looking like on camera right now and it's coming across like it is it was so good i loved when he when he did them he did it a couple times you know like maybe three or four times where he had these long things to say and he just rattled, rattled, rattled rattled it off. And oh my goodness, I loved every time one came up. I'm like, okay, we're doing it again. All right, let's go. That's what he's known for, right? Like that's his comedy is is these like rants that he goes Mm -hmm. on. But for him to transition the comedy into like an uh, an action movie where he's a villain doing that. Totally. uh, Excellent. Excellent. Now, Dean, did you have, I mean, you know who Dennis Leary is, you know, but like, what was your experience with Dennis Leary before this? Yeah, my number one thing that comes to mind for Dennis Leary is Demolition Man, because I love Demolition Man. Same (laughs) year, like, it's it's 93. (laughs) And so like, that's, that's what pops in my head for Dennis Leary, like completely different character, right? But uh, yeah, I've always, you know, always liked the guy. Um, Also, uh, when I was when I was young, so you guys would all probably be too old for it. But uh, I watched The Sandlot a lot. And he's like (laughs) the father in that movie. So, yeah, yeah, I, 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 I liked Dennis Leary. Yeah, so uh, we we just, yeah, was, <laughs> we just you just guys just mentioned it that you haven't seen it. <laughs> Neither of us have seen it. <laughs> you guys need to see that movie. It's a really good movie. It is. It, you don't have to like baseball. I love it. it, it isn't to, it about it's like a, a coming dog of age. or something? Oh no, the Sandlot. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Are you thinking Cujo? <laughs> no, I just remember <laughs> no, that dog good. eats the <laughs> eats the baseball in the trailer. That's all. Uh, our, that's no, all good. I remember from the Sandlot is that the dog eats the baseball. It's a it's a good movie. I, I don't think you'll be I don't think you'll be disappointed with it. Uh I, I love the various locations that they hit in this movie. Mm. Just um I think that's that's a good part of, of why this hits for me. It's just going from the suburbs to like an interstate to the ghetto to an apartment complex that you go into, you go onto the roof, you also go into the sewer below it. You go into a train yard. You go into this like department store swap meet. Um, that's so much fun to hit all these different locations. But have it work. Have it like it makes sense that they're doing it because they're on the run. So it doesn't seem forced that they're just trying to throw a bunch of locales in there. Yeah, it, it feels like the next one is the next natural step that that it would be. And I personally loved the, especially earlier on, it seemed like uh, there was a lot of wind, I guess, when they were filming or something. And I love wind in movies. I think it's just very ominous. Um, but uh, there were some really good wind shots that I was like, okay, I don't think that they're, I don't think they're trucking in like giant wind fans just to get this shot. Right. I think that was just kind of like, that just happened. And I was like, oh man, that's, that's freaking awesome. Um, I was a little little bit at first I wasn't quite sure where the movie took place but it's it's Chicago right it's supposed to be Chicago it is, okay. it is but yeah. I think they yeah. film I think that freeway shot was LA I think that I, mm. 
I was looking in IMDb and some of it was shot in Long Beach and some of it was shot, I think, like around New York. But I think then a bulk of it was shot in Chicago area, though. There is a great shot of uh, wind blowing garbage across the street. That was was, so good. There was so much garbage blowing. I just like took note of that. Yeah, it was it was a very some of the earlier shots when they were there. And I think there was a homeless guy and the the wind was just like that guy was almost like falling over. And I'm like, I was just sitting there going Mm. like, I love wind in movies. This is like it just looks great. You know, I love weather. I love weather Mm -hmm. in movies. Like even when it's just like pouring rain and it's actually raining. It's like, I, I love this. Yeah, I do, too. Yeah. Big, big fan of that stuff. Did you guys notice the uh, clearly Canadian um, uh, water uh, billboard inside the grocery store when they broke in? <laughs> no. I was no. Like, oh, no. Look, look at that giant bottle of clearly Canadian on the wall. I remember that. I, I used to love clearly Canadian. <laughs> yeah, that was good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. This movie to me also proved that uh, it, it, like the, the message, the takeaway I got from it was don't go out with your friends ever stay inside (laughs) and take care of your child and um you know just like don't have any friends for that matter yeah (laughs) because it'll only cause you trouble it's a good theme yeah Yeah, you want to party with your boys well you might die yes (laughs) well you know what's going to come home you know what's going to happen the aftermath i wish they would have done a like an end scene after the credits where he comes home and he's all beat up and his wife is sitting on the couch and she's with this big smug look on her face. And she's like, I told you so. <laughs> well, Zach, that's a great point because she, the, the wife is like waiting outside of that store for them. Right. And because one of the cops says, Oh, uh, Mr. Whatever your name is, your wife's here. Yeah. Dude, he is going to eat shit. As soon as he walks out that department <laughs> store, he is getting lit up and they didn't show it but you know that's gonna happen yep. and he's yep. he's never gonna hear the end of it ever you know never <laughs> and the iron the irony is it seemed at least from the opening interaction that ray was the only one that the wife actually kind of liked or like was like kind of nice <laughs> right. to you know yeah. and he's the one that's dead yeah you want to explain true. me they want to explain to me why uh because 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 you know uh emilio Estevez's character says something like you know, she's never going to forgive you for our wedding night or whatever. And, and Cuba does that, like he kind of does that dance up on him, on, yeah. on Frank. And I'm like, is it because he freaked you at the wedding or he freaked your wife? Like what's, yeah. <laughs> and, and the fact that freaking was a dance style back in the day is really <laughs> embarrassing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was, have, yeah. I have no idea what that part was. Like I have no I, clue. I think Cuba, I think Cuba got strippers. Oh, for them. Okay. oh. okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. Okay. okay. I was just waiting for him to punch Emilia Estevez in the face with his moves. You know, like <laughs> I was, I was impressed with how good of control he had over his, over True. his arms there. Cause yeah. the rest of the movie, yeah. he had no control over his face at all. Well, he, he had done right before this movie, he had done another Chicago uh, set film called gladiator, not to be confused with um. Russell Crowe, which I brought gladiator up quite often on $2 late fee. Cause it's a, it's a underground boxing movie with James Marshall who is best known from Twin Peaks, but Cuba Gooding Jr.'s in it, Brian Dennehy, Robert Loja, Ozzie Davis, great cast of, uh, you know, character actors. And, and Cuba's fantastic in it. But he does that kind of, he always mugs for the camera where like he re- his facial expressions are always so important. I mean, shit, he did that in Boys in the Hood, you know? You think about when he's, uh, you know, just really like emotional on, on camera. And, 
And I think we forget how good of an actor he actually can be um, at times. Like he, I don't think he was nominated for an Academy Award for Boys, but probably should have. But uh, the guy, you know, when he did the OJ movie not, or the, the miniseries uh, on FX, he was so good. Like I at times forgot that it was Cuba Gooding playing OJ. I thought it was just OJ playing OJ. You know, um, it was so believable. And he's a great actor. It was just those emotional shifts that he had. He because he had like three of them. I wrote them down, and and uh, you know they were so jarring because like out of nowhere he's having like kind of a, a, a like a you know a meltdown, uh, very cliched, and it's not necessarily his fault. It just might have been the way the movie was edited. Um, and then kind of turns around at the end where he's like, "Okay, boss." Yeah, it's my thing, boss. Yeah. Like, why, why are you calling me boss now, you know? like. Yeah, and something he was using in the movie to sort of, like, jab at Emilio Estevez, he would call him boss, and, like, he, he didn't like it. And then all of a sudden, he's turning it around at the end to like, oh, I like actually, that. yeah. I like that as much as I like your cowboy boots. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, and, like, he shot a gun at a bus. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I mean, like bus driver, come on, like hit the brakes. But um, he shot a gun at a bus. (laughs) That bus driver, the area she's in. Yeah, she's not going to pick the two most normal looking dudes up just because they're running to catch the bus. Like, imagine the kind of people in that area that get on that bus. But uh, Zach, I wanted to say I love Gladiator. Um, Big fan of that movie. Nice. I remember. For my 14th birthday, I had the had some friends over. We rented that and American Ninja uh, American Ninja Four. Oh, nice! And those were the two movies we watched. So we were we were full of testosterone after those two movies. Oh, hell yeah, dude! Both those movies just like oh, let's go do something manly. <laughs> we went outside and played football. There you it was go. like it's December. December in in our city is cold, but we were just like, we gotta get outside. Let's do something. Uh, it took like five minutes before one of us, like one of the guys, had to go in with a bloody nose. Oh, <laughs> yeah, Gladiator, Gladiator kicks ass, and, and that 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 movie, you know, Cuba Gooding has a great gets knocked out of the ring by Brian Dennehy. It's hilarious the GIF of that. Yeah, if you go, on, if you go online mm. and find the GIF of uh, Cuba, just he just gets like it's like someone picks up an action figure and throws it out of their toy wrestling ring it's like like brian dunahee's the kingpin (laughs) he's punching him as hard as the kingpin would punch this guy actually he would have been a great kingpin he would have been a great kingpin back in the day he would have been actually yeah yeah. but yeah uh it's it's funny that you you mentioned um american ninja 4 just or the just the testosterone factor because this movie i think doesn't necessarily have a testosterone factor to it. And maybe that's another reason why it didn't attract a certain audience. Cause it didn't have mm-hmm. that like, Oh yeah, we're going to just get, knock these, knock the shit out of these guys. No, we're just kind of like right. going to survive. It was more, more of a yeah. drama versus an action film. You know? Yeah. And, and that's where I yeah, think they, they went with the, you know, they had two choices. They like, okay, we can make this Schwarzenegger esque and, and yeah. be like balls to the wall, or we can keep it realistic. Um, I think, you know, probably budget had something to do with that, but at the end of the day, they made that choice to kind of stay within these parameters of realism. And I think they probably got a better movie out of it, but I think they probably got less return out of it. I mm. think the movie would have done better if it was bigger and more bombastic. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. 
but I don't think I'd like it as much. Yeah, that's Agreed. what. Yeah, I think. Yeah. I th- and I think ultimately, um, because I, I posted on on our pad Instagram that that we were going to be doing this tonight. We got a, a lot of people are saying I love this movie. I like this movie's great and everything. And I, I and a lot of people liked it and everything. So I'm like, you know, use that as a barometer sometimes. You know, just to kind of weigh people's opinions on things. And I think that this movie. You know, the reason it holds up so well is because of the choices that they made when they did it to keep it more realistic, whether that was budget or not, who knows, but that's the choice they made. Uh, Obviously, Dennis Leary and everything really helped, but like... I think that this movie wouldn't have have the legs that it has now, uh, you know, if it went in a different direction. It's very, yeah, it's, it's on paper, it's not a very unique movie, but then when you actually watch it because of the, the choices that they made and where they went with it, it actually is a really unique film. There isn't really anything much out there because you're like, oh, but it's like Trespasser. Oh, it's like Hard Target. And you're like, but no, Hard Target is like this balls to the wall action movie. This is going for like this survival realism thing. Surviving the game tries to go for more of a balls to the wall action type of stuff, you know? And I think that that's what makes this movie very hyper unique. Also, Dennis Leary being at the top of his game, you know? And I think uh, Dean or Tim, uh, probably, I think Dean, you mentioned earlier, like we just can't like, like, like take a look away from 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 him and, and Emilio Estevez like so Emilio Estevez is your is your is your main protagonist and he's he's not as strong as your main antagonist you know and and I think it's 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 Dennis Leary at his prime and then keeping the movie grounded and realistic and small like just four people versus four people again the juxtaposition of just having watched this against the warriors you know a few weeks ago it's like that's like warriors is a big movie there's a bunch of people involved in everything whereas here it's just a tiny little group and a tiny little group and really it just it makes for a very compelling and interesting film well i noticed uh well well said yeah i totally totally agree and and i was gonna say um there was a comparison made to deliverance and this, and at first I was like, no, that's not the same thing. But then I started breaking it down and thinking, wait a minute, Deliverance is about four guys that go off on a fun outing and they get they get stuck in an area they're not familiar with. One of them gets killed uh, and then three of them make it back. One of them, one of the three is, is barely hanging on because he gets, uh, you know, shot or and the other and one of them is terrified and i'm like oh that's kind of like actually there's a lot of parallels to this in deliverance you know yeah. and actually that's pretty damn cool that if this was an urban version of deliverance I, i'm cool with that because i love deliverance it's one of my favorite thrillers talking about thrillers that's a great one you know but um yeah and then like the tough guy burt reynolds testosterone character kind of just flies off the handle and that's when he gets shot and that's kind of what happened to cuba cuba's like oh i'm gonna end this you know we're gonna get to deal Mm. with this now and then he ends up getting taken out but he does take out everlast so the 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 house of pain version and i'm with you tim i i was a huge everlast uh fan as well house of pain rather fan but uh and, and i'll just circle back to if you guys have never checked out that everlast uh that first everlast album it's worth revisiting um, it's probably going to be hard to track down. I'm sure it's on YouTube or something, but it's just funny to see this guy looking so thuggish. Cause he's like covered in tattoos, <laughs> shaved his head, pulls a knit cap over, you know, and he's looking like he's an Irish gangster. And then 
meanwhile, you go back not even two years. It was kind of what the band Sugar Ray did. You remember Sugar Ray? You know, ah, yeah, yeah, of course. So their first album is like kind of metal. It's like a metal rap album. Mm. And then their second album is like in the bedpost and all this other crap, you know, which like, look, I dug it at the time. I was definitely. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, but their first album, and they, that's when they were on Howard Stern and, and like, you know, they were kind of a indie underground metal band. Suddenly they just totally change. And I get it. Look, if someone's going to throw a ton of cash at you and they're like, hey, change your sound to this. You're like, okay, yeah, course, sure. Right? Yeah. Sure. You know? Yeah. Yeah, and then yeah. Everlast went through three incarnations and then he became Whitey Ford Sings the Blues. And, what yeah. it's like. And doing <laughs> yeah. songs with Santana, yeah. you know, and there's monsters in uh, my bed and all this shit. Not, not a fan of that, but no. definitely a fan of, of um, what, are there two House of Pain albums, I think? There are two, yeah. Yeah, I'm a fan of both of them. They're both really good. What other hip hop group do you know that, that drops Sega, you know? <laughs> Sega's the shit. I love Sega Master System. Yeah. Oh, I love Sega. I still have. I still have it in the closet. What? Love it. Bring it yeah, out of the dude. closet. It's time to let it out. I know, right? I got maybe four or five games for it. Still love, love nice. Sega. Love oh, Sega. Then the Master System used to have these these cards, these these flat little cards you could yeah. put in them, and it was and the, and then their controller you could screw the, uh, uh, the you know Nintendo just had the regular flat. Uh, directional controller. This you could screw yes. a little joystick into at the joystick. Time. Yeah. Oh, right. so cool. And their gun. The Sega. You could too. also tur- you could turn on the Sega and play a game. They had a little maze game. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, that that's was so cool. that was it, like a kind of like a shitty little game. But hey, hey, dude, if you're in a pinch and <laughs> you can't find your games, <laughs> I don't yeah. know why you couldn't find your games. I love that thing. I love that maze game. It's one of my favorite games. <laughs> yeah, the maze game is awesome. It's a cool idea. <laughs> All right. Well, does anybody have any final thoughts on um, on the movie? Maybe something you wanted to say that you didn't say. I'm just going to say last last thing I'm going to say is if I could if if I could choose one thing to make this movie that much better is by taking the uh, actual soundtrack. Because on the cassette tape, it says music from the motion picture. <laughs> what a tease. Lies. What a tease. It's missing the word some of at the beginning. Yeah. Of the yeah. Beginning. <laughs> um, that would be my only thing. I just throw yeah. more of those actual songs in there. That's it. Yeah. My, my only thing point. is uh, someone needs to go back in time and give Dennis Leary a, a full-fledged movie career because yeah. he, he yep. deserves it. He yep. deserved it. Totally. Yeah. Um, I don't have a final thought, but uh, there was one thing that I, I thought of while we were talking, and it was when they were in the shipping containers and those those homeless people were popping up. It's not like they walked out of the shadows or anything. It's like every time the camera went back onto them, there was just more of them. It just kept going. You'd, you'd switch the camera to your four guys, then you'd switch back to the homeless people, and there was just more. Yeah. <laughs> so funny. I laughed so hard at that. I noticed that, too, because I, like, I was like, oh, there's one guy. Oh, no, there's yeah. two, and then camera oh, cuts back. No, it's just three. There's, there's, there's five. There's 20. Okay, yeah. 20. Got it. <laughs> Got it, yeah. That's a lot of... Lot of homeless bums to pay off you that, know? that car probably stunk horribly oh yeah oh, my oh yeah I hadn't considered that that's all i considered i was like get me the yeah. hell out of there 
There's ventilation. You definitely got to stay like away from one of those corners, I think. Ooh, yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. No, that was I, – I really enjoyed going back and, and rewatching this. Uh, I, I have – like I said, I haven't seen it since the 90s and uh, don't really get it – you know, these days get an excuse to really watch something uh, unless it's for a podcast or, you know, <laughs> that's it for a podcast. So – Thank you guys. Thank you guys for, you know, having me rewatch Judgment Night. I had I have no problem with the the 2 hours that I spent, you know, with that film. I think it's a I think it's a fun film and if you've never seen it, check it out. If you haven't seen it since the 90s, check it out. It it remarkably holds up very well in 2021. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, this this and Trespass. Thank you for allowing me to kind of revisit both of those. So Thanks, thanks for having me on the show too. I'm glad that the pad team could be, you know, this could be a a, a traditional two on two tag team match. Yeah, yeah, definitely. This yeah, is awesome. this is a good fit. Yeah, trespass. You know, I would, uh, I'd be happy to have you guys back to to cover that one if you're interested. I've I've never seen trespass. I was actually hoping we would do that because I knew because again we uh, Zach and I just coming off the heels of uh, the Warriors and I'd never seen Trespass, but knowing that that was also a Walter Hill film, um, I would really like an excuse to to watch Trespass for the first time. So you know, if you guys ever Let's want to re- revisit Let's it, yeah, it. and I, and I won't watch it until until we re- you know talk about it. So I'll pull a Dean and uh, and I'll sit yes. on it. <laughs> I won't be alone. Definitely never seen yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. That'll be fun. Let's do it then. Let's we'll lock that in. We'll get you guys back for trespass. Nice. Um, yeah, th- a great time. Um, a lot of fun talking to you guys. Uh, just I'll give you an opportunity to pitch whatever you want to. Um, the, the stuff you're doing. Uh, just give us a little promotion for it. I'll be putting your stuff in the show notes. But just uh, you know, shout out to whatever you want to shout out to right now. Check out two dollar late fee uh, on Instagram and two dollar late We are a retro eighties podcast. We just did our top. We did a top five. We we typically do an episode devoted to a movie and a soundtrack, and then interview an actor or some sort of performer connected to that movie. Uh, the following episode. Well, we've got an upcoming episode interview with Keith Coogan from Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. And dishes are done man that's right and adventures in babysitting <laughs> um so so dustin my co-host on that one instead of doing one movie uh he said why don't we do like our top five keith movies i'm like your top five keith movies and i typed in keith in imdb and a bunch of keith names came up and yeah we did our top five favorite movies featuring an actor named Keith in some way. So you got the, the Keith awesome. David and the David Keiths, right? We do have those. <laughs> and then we've got a couple others that might surprise you. Um, th- that episode, uh, by the time this airs, that episode will have already dropped. Uh, and a little teaser, we, we just interviewed the lead actor, Kurt McKinney from No Retreat, No Surrender, and um, a great cheeseball 80s movie and 80s martial arts flick. And we're going to be dropping that interview sometime at the end of February, beginning of March. So yeah, we, uh, awesome. we've got some awesome. great cool. interviews, great, great uh, movie content. And it's not like podcasting after dark there. I always say they're, they're in, in this polygamous relationship I have, I've got two <laughs> perfectly 
groomed wives. I've got one wife over here <laughs> that likes to go bowling and the other wife over here that likes to watch Murder, She Wrote on Sunday nights on CBS. I'm the bowling one, right? <laughs> of course you are, because Dustin loves Murder, She Wrote for some godforsaken reason. He loves his Murder, She Wrote. I'm like, okay, dude, whatever. Anyways. Perfect. That's me. But uh, Corey, hey, where can we find you? Yeah, if I could find me talking to you every other week on Podcasting After Dark. My other wife. Yeah, we. uh, I I don't know when this episode is going to drop, but uh, you can find on the Podcasting After Dark feed, uh, I think this week we are dropping the Thomas G. Waits interview. Uh, Zach and I talked to Thomas G. Waits. He was Windows in The Thing. He was also Fox in The Warriors, and it was a... Very heartfelt, uh, uh, very candid, very real conversation. Uh, if you guys want to check out all the all the interviews that we have, uh, they're all on our Patreon page. Interviews, um, the interview after dark series. But we don't like just have canned set of questions that we ask. Like it's it's more of a conversation. It's a conversation that Zach masterfully leads. Uh, you know, and I just kind of follow along. But it's fun, and we kind of get into the nitty gritty of things and speaking to what zach uh, uh, said earlier about two dollar late fee being very different from from podcast after dark we've interviewed the exact same actors for both podcasts and have had absolutely no crossover in what they've told us so it's t- two totally different conversations so go check that out um and you know aside from the interviews our bread and butter at podcast after dark is our full full four-hour movie breakdown and reviews so if you love movies like prince of darkness or the warriors or people under the stairs which you guys covered as well uh go check us out and uh you that's right there those three episodes i i just rattled off are probably about 12 hours worth of content right there so <laughs> enjoy enjoy it's all true. of that true. And, yep. and we also have a, a tv obscura like a new show uh, you know it's on the podcast after dark feed but it's called tv obscura where we talk about uh weird obscure tv shows from shows like manimal and uh shows like uh what's another one zach we got uh misfits of science misfits and, of uh, science it's shazam stuff like that so we we get in the we get in the nitty-gritty and uh hat squad. you know <laughs> In the Hat Squad, and uh, you know you can hear me also on Cartwright every week talking about Seinfeld with our pal Adam, and and Adam is always saying he's like I don't even know any of the movies you guys are reviewing on Podcasting After Dark, so it's it's good times. Um, and then on Cartwright, we're also diving into Curb Your Enthusiasm right now on Patreon exclusive for for Cartwright. So yeah, co- constant content production is literally all I do. All our listeners, please go and check out what these guys are doing. If you like what we're doing, you're going to like what they're doing. Corey, Zach, Dean, thanks for joining, guys. And thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll catch you next time.
remember when I used to be dope? Yeah. I own a pocket full of fame. But look what you're doing now. I know. Well, I know. I lost touch with reality. Now my personality is an unwanted commodity. Hey everybody, I'm Corey. And I'm Zach. And we're the hosts of Podcasting After Dark, a cast dedicated to late-night horror and sci-fi of the 80s and 90s, often found on HBO and Cinemax. You know, the movies your parents didn't want you watching as a kid. You can find us every other week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, and Stitcher. This is what you want. This is what you get. I'm Adam. And I'm Corey. And we are the hosts of Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast. We are breaking down every single episode of Seinfeld as we watch it, reliving this amazing show. That's right. It's a trip down memory lane for all of us 90s kids out there. You can find Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and Patreon. La la la. Hello everybody, I'm Adam. I'm John. And every week we are giving you a blast from our past. We are the podcast that brings you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, album reviews, top tens, and more, all from the things of our nostalgic past. So please join us every single week on the Blast From Our Past podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, however you listen to podcasts, you can find us, and we would love to have you take a trip with us to the land of nostalgia. Have you been wondering where's the beef? Well, on our podcast, Throwback Trivia Takedown, you might just find that out, as well as some other things about the 70s, 80s, and 90s. We're a nostalgic-based trivia show that pits two challengers head-to-head in a duel of the decades, with categories ranging from movies, TV and music, to slang, food, and fashion. You're sure to get the best in retro-themed trivia. So strap on your jelly shoes, grab a surge, and walk like an Egyptian to your favorite podcast app and check out Throwback Trivia Takedown. I heard even Mikey likes it. That's it for another episode. Thanks to everyone for listening. If you'd like to drop us a line, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter as TalkBackPod or by email at TalkBackPod at gmail.com. Also, please leave us a review on iTunes. Those reviews will help more people find Talking Back. All right, that's it. We're done.